Welcome to the Future of Tourism podcast. I'm David Peacock. Stop owning your own content. Young leaders are stepping up. Bring everyone to the table. And imagine their world anew. Behavioral optimization in tourism, while you may not have heard of it, is definitely happening. Psychologists, sociologists, researchers, academics, and strategists around the world have been working on the concept of shifting human behavior in tourism for more than two decades. Behavioral optimization, in its simplest definition, is using human behavior patterns as a fulcrum in leveraging behavior change. Behavioral optimization can make a significant difference in the tackling of complex, large-scale challenges. Dr. Milena Nikolova and her team at BeSmart in Sofia, Bulgaria and around the world have been working globally on projects from micro-sustainability improvements with small enterprises to nationwide regenerative tourism initiatives. From the obvious behaviors like using messaging to reduce linen use and laundry in hotels, to the less apparent behaviors like limiting food waste by encouraging more appropriate portioning through plating and serving strategies. Human behavioral science is everywhere, and you don't even know it. Good morning, Elena. How are Good you? Good morning. How are you? I am fantastic. Okay, where are you? I am right now at home in Sofia, Bulgaria, as you mentioned. And what's it like? um it's holy it's in holiday mode um the good thing is that we are now on the other side of a heat wave um so it's a little bit fresher and uh, more human to actually walk on the streets and enjoy the uh, summer period the bad thing is that we actually had a pretty long heat wave and uh, it did bring some unpleasant effects on cities and nature and uh, actually the entire continent really i did you, you've had a terribly rough summer in europe the south uh, mm. the southeast and southwestern united states have been equally hit by the heat all right let me ask you about the picture behind you though is that out your window <laughs> No, unfortunately, it isn't. This is uh, actually a behavioral trick that our team imposed on it on ourselves. Because here in Europe, many um, of our colleagues uh, usually depart for holiday early July, especially in the Nordic region where most of our work is. Uh, people usually just shut off computers in July and just go on. And at one point, it felt that everybody is out at beaches, mountains, uh, forests, and we are the only ones uh, left behind at the office. So we decided that we need to do something about it um, and task the creatives on the team to address that by creating this summer background, um, which now all of us use in calls. And it does work because it sets the mood, uh, it triggers conversation. So it has been less painful to know that we are going on holiday later than everybody else. Okay, I love it. Nice living application of your work. All right, let's talk about your work. I sure. met you in Sofia, Bulgaria in the spring, and you did a, just an amazing presentation on the efficacy of behavior optimization from simple nudge strategies like reminder letters and things like that right through to smart design. Um, 
let me do this though. I, I gave a very brief explanation of behavioral optimization and tourism. Just give us the high level view. What do you say to your one one class when they when they come in? What is what is BO in tourism? Okay. So I want to actually step back out of tourism and explain that really the last two years, science, um, different fields that uh, touch on human behavior, whether on individual level uh, or group level or societal level, has really made very significant leaps forward in understanding what factors shape decision-making and really behaviors. This has helped us understand why the assumptions that actually have informed many of the systems in our society are less reliable. And I'll give you a very practical illustration. For example, the usual assumption about decision-making and actions is that providing the decision-maker with sufficient information about the different options is the only necessary or the, the main factor that leads them to making the choice that's most beneficial for them. So, so you're, you're, saying, you... you're saying that the individual's the intelligent operator in that scenario and will always make the right choice. That's the assumption that we, that we have been making. And uh, what's interesting is that many systems in our society are designed around these assumptions. So some of the failures in legal systems, in policy systems, in financial healthcare systems are precisely in, in, due to that. In, in nutrition and diet even. Absolutely, absolutely. Got it. So behavioral economics, which is the field that really has helped us bring that human realism to understanding societies better, uh, has pointed to the fact that actually simply providing people with information is not sufficient, that there's multiple factors that shape and explain why we often deviate from what is theoretically the ideal choice that we have in front of, our, of ourselves. So we today understand that we have uh, a dual decision-making system. We have a fast thinking system and a slow thinking system. So some decisions we make very quickly. This is when we are more prone to making mistakes and deviating from what would seem to be the best optimal choice. And we have a slow thinking system, which takes time. It looks at the pros and cons. We also know that context is extremely powerful. So one and the same decision with the same value system, with the same um, experience, personality, can end up making very, very different choices depending on who is in uh, around them, what seem to be the expectations of the group around them, what is the environment like, um, the emotional state of people around them, uh, the design of this physical space even. So this is why today we have much more information that helps explain the state of healthcare, the quality of life of some of uh, modern society, the damaging effects of um, phenomena such as uh, the rise of social media and so on. Because we now know what are the moments, the factors that actually end up shaping our behavior. Okay, so that's that's from a broad perspective of the world in general. And then you said you wanted to take that to tourism. You didn't start in tourism. You started out as a psychologist and you yes. and then how do you how do you gravitate to tourism and why does the application matter therein? 
It's actually an interesting story. So my undergraduate and graduate degree are in psychology. Um, and I was very interested uh, during the first years of my uh, career. Uh, I simply had the, the chance to work with applied psychology um, with teams of applied psychologists who were using knowledge about human behavior to strengthen organizations, to strengthen um, the performance of non-governmental organizations, to strengthen public-private dialogue, very, very important pillars of, of democratic societies. Um, and that inspired me to find ways in which I can use knowledge about human behavior in practical, interesting, exciting ways, whether in more commercial context or in less commercial one. So this is how I embarked on the journey of pursuing a doctoral degree in the US. I went to the George Washington uh, University in the School of Business with the idea of being very practical, very hands-on with my studies. And I got accepted into the program. And then I started looking for some financial support programs. And I received an offer from the International Institute of Tourism Studies, which is mm -hmm. one of the smallest research entities within the business school, um, to work with them and uh, to as part of a fellowship package. Uh, the only condition was that I was going to make the supporting field of my dissertation study, sustainable tourism. And so my thinking was, well, sustainability, I've had some experience with that. This is certainly the future of societies. Tourism is a fantastic industry. It's a happiness industry. What's not to like about that choice? So that's how I entered into the tourism space. And what ended up really triggering my interest in overlapping knowledge about human behavior and uh, knowledge about sustainability was that when I started going to classes in tourism policy and tourism planning and tourism marketing, everybody kept talking about the fact that we need to make sustainability a principle of planning and managing tourism. Yet the things we were learning and that were in the textbooks contradicted what would work from a psychological point of view. So I was absolutely fascinated with that because I was coming from a different perspective. And to me, it was almost shocking that it was so obvious that the way that we were approaching uh, sustainability was just not going to, 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 to evolve into a fundamental principle, um, that this became my my interest uh, so and the basis for my studies yeah so we're really lucky you went to george washington university <laughs> which which has a tremendous tourism school as well so you put your business and your psychology in the context of that and you basically incubate a whole new field now let me let me um, uh, paint a picture for the the people listening be smart has how many employees 12 12 and they are spread out across the world is that correct yes mostly in europe Okay, so let's 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 talk about um, the you know the adoption curve of be smart sort of technology and be smart ideas. You really have emerged in the last three or four years as a real force, and the pandemic certainly, like so many other places in the world, catapulted the importance of what you're doing as people grapple with every which way to reform their destinations to become more resilient, to become more empathic, to become more sustainable. So let's talk about. Be smarts trajectory over the last three year, three years, what you're working on, where you're working. Absolutely. So we actually decided to set up the company exactly a month before COVID overtook our realities. 
And of course, COVID came and that um, startled us. But then we put our heads together and we decided, you know what, we're starting something very new, something that has been tested in some other sectors. It's very, very new in, in tourism. But moments of disruption and crisis are precisely when new ideas and new mechanisms and solutions actually um, uh, get adopted much faster than in regular well-doing periods. Uh, so we decided to take the risk and just continue working on, um, on the idea because this was not something that we could copy from somewhere or even build on um at least in our context we actually went through a period of trial and error so uh until we figured out what what packaging or what format of this knowledge would actually work um and be relevant to so, destination so, so, so let me understand this you've got some early peers you're working around the table you've got an idea that you know not just will change the world but can change the world you've seen it in action in other industries and you're trying now to, to figure uh, figure out a way to cross the chasm into tourism to get tourism to pay closer attention to the idea uh, of behavioral optimization heuristics biases opportunities all right so how do you get across the chasm what was your application what do you do well first we needed to raise awareness because um our uh my background and also that of some other team members um comes both from academic and research uh the research space but also from field work so our ability to bridge what we know exists in theoretical science theoretical and scientific world and translate it into what we know will be relevant to entities from the smallest uh, tourism uh, service provider to the large destination authority um, was was the, the 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 pursuit that we had. We wanted to actually find the best formula for translating that knowledge so that it can really have an impact. Um, so we took a little bit of experimentation um, and exploration and different forms of presenting that knowledge and translating it into practical examples, into illustrations, into case studies before we even had our own. So, so give us some examples. You're speaking, you're speaking in the abstract, speaking the context. Yes, absolutely. So I, I'll actually mention one of the most inspiring uh, case studies that actually is from our industry and it's from the early years of applied behavioral economics. And this is um, an experimental program that Virgin Atlantic uh, initiated and did. Uh, and I know many of us think that the aviation industry is not trying hard enough in terms of aligning with uh, contemporary sustainability expectations. But actually, this is a phenomenal case study that shows how an airline was bold enough uh, to experiment with behavior change in very smart uh, and very innovative ways at a time when uh, this space was very, very new. So in um 12 13 years ago virgin atlantic in its pursuit of um uh, more environmental performance um uh, standards uh decided to encourage pilots to adopt a series of uh techniques um that uh, could be used uh during flights that would 
uh, lower the consumption of fuel, respectively, the environmental footprint of flights. Uh, and they stumbled upon an interesting phenomena. Um, the techniques were very simple. Uh, they were provided or described in details, in trainings, in manuals, in all sorts of internal documentation and com communication. Yet, pilots were somehow staying shy from them. So um, that's when the team decided to call uh, behavioral scientists in uh, and ask for their assistance. And they produced three very, very simple uh, tactics. The first one was notifying pilots at the end of each month about the their performance in terms of uh, fuel efficiency flying. So oh, yeah. they received, just like you receive your electricity bill at the end of the month, you just have a statement um, that reports on your uh, fuel efficiency behavior. The second intervention was adding a little bit of uh, gamification, and it was giving pilots the opportunity to set their own goals for next time. So they were competing a little bit with themselves, which we know is, is a good motivator uh, for many people. And then the third one was receiving a reward if you meet your um, your goal and the reward was um, a donation um, to a charity of uh, of their choice um, this experiment ran for more than eight months and what became evident was that these simple techniques which you can imagine from an investment point of view are very very insignificant compared to investments in in technologies and many other solutions that we we employ, but they actually produce tremendous results because simply the fact that pilots started receiving information statements about their uh, behavior um, increased the likelihood that they will employ at least one of these techniques by 50%. The fact that they are setting their own goals increase the likelihood that they would increase that they would use one of these techniques by another 20 percent and what's super interesting was that the reward actually didn't have any significant statistically significant effect so it wasn't about the reward it was about the sense that your employer cares about a certain uh, behavior and it's part of the kpi it's now considered uh, an indicator of success um, so you start paying attention and you're more, more motivated to employ this uh, behavior. And then the second thing is gamification, setting your own goals and then um, uh, trying to achieve, me, achieve them. So these simple techniques, I think, and, and this actually example is so powerful because imagine if while we are investing in sustainable aviation fuels, in improving technology and infrastructure, within what we currently have simply by using smart behavior change and nudges um, such as what uh, such as the ones that virgin atlantic employed we can have massive improvements or we can cover the first miles um, of the sustainability transition that we need to be covering so to me if this is employed by all airlines by all large hotel groups by all large store operators and 
um, at, and entities in the industry, you can imagine the impact that this will well, have. So, so let's look at that. So if I'm an individual pilot, and I, I can guess what some of the techniques were, long, long, slow glides in, changing elevation for speed, that kind of stuff. So prior to the program, they have a bias. And the heuristic bias is I've got to get from A to B quickly. I'm a pilot. I do it my way. Did the program create a greater awareness of the industry as a whole in the in the pilot's mind? Do you think that they saw themselves as part of an ecosystem and realized that saving, you know, 800 gallons of fuel didn't seem like a lot until everybody did it every day? Did they did they develop start to develop that awareness? So it the the study doesn't look at the um, it doesn't analyze the, the the thinking, let's say, that's behind it. I think, though, based on what we know from behavioral science, um, what we can uh, assume and conclude mm -hmm. is that the triggers of such behavior that end up uh, uh, contributing to the footprint of the tourism economy are very often much simpler than what we think. Mm -hmm. so about people's morals or mm -hmm. about their ability to see their role in the bigger ecosystem. It's about uh, triggers and factors that matter in the current moment. So I decide to employ this simple technique simply because I know it matters to my em employer and I want to feel that I'm succeeding in my professional reality. So therefore I am adhering to, to the new standard that's imposed and I actually like the challenge of meeting my own uh, my own goal, rather than I want to feel that I'm contributing to um, saving saving the world. And that's one of the key learnings that we have now from behavioral economics. That many of the decisions, and that includes um, uh, uh, includes the behavior of travelers. Many of the decisions that travelers make while they're on holiday that end up contributing to waste to carbon footprint or other in undesired effects actually are driven not by some evil forces or by poor morals. They're driven by uh, factors which are relevant to the current moment, which are relevant to why travelers are there in the first place and their very basic efforts to get away, relax, get the be best out of the place and so on. Well, and I think you were talking to me earlier and you said traveling makes it easy to waste things. That's one of the problems. It's tremendously easy when we're traveling. And I think you just added to that when your mindset is I'm on vacation, I'm going to relax my decision making. I'm going to take my moral compass and I'm going to park it by the beach for a while so I can get some rest. Then we're actually more susceptible to bad behaviors and probably less susceptible to our, to our urban behaviors. Absolutely. Uh, and we actually release controls. So the idea that if we focus on bringing the really responsible, um, uh, sustainable, mindful travelers, this is going to really shift the footprint of our tourism economy, does not really hold under the behavioral principles. Because even people who are very diligent about living healthy, um, uh, uh, consuming responsibly at home, when they travel, they actually deviate from these principles. They 
um, are going to skip a run or two. They're going to have an extra dessert than they usually would. Uh, they're going to be a little bit less lenient towards recycling and maybe um, overusing water or energy simply because this is how uh, our leisure mode works. Because we're human, not because we are bad or good. This is simply so the nature on. of... So our, we're, we're both fans of Danny Kahneman and, and his Absolutely. slow thinking, fast thinking. So we're saying that our heuristics, our biases actually shift on a state-dependent situation. Absolutely. And the one you point out really well is when we're in the context of other people, our biases change and quite often based on the influence of those people. Absolutely. So context actually is extremely powerful. Um, who is around us? What others are doing? Um, what seems to be the easier or the more likely option? What seems to be the choice of, of the others? Very often become the the key factors that define what we are going to go for rather than our morals or our sense that we are contributing to saving the, the earth. Okay, I could talk to you forever, but we're on a timetable here. A couple of things. We've got, we got roughly 800, 900 uh, destinations in the world listening. So let's talk about a couple of things as we, as we close this out. One, I do want you to hit on the two levels of behavioral change that, that you that you really do uh, focus on and be smart. And that's the simple smart changes and the strategic behavior changes. Touch on both of those. And then let's give our listeners some context around tourism as to where they can start thinking about this in their own destinations, who they can talk to, because that's the idea, right? Behavior change. So absolutely over to you. So when we talk about using knowledge about behavior change in the context of travel, and specifically sustainability and climate action, we look at two opportunities or two levels in which um, we can apply this. The first one is we usually refer that uh, as the first mile. These are smart, simple, low investment, uh, disruption-free changes that we can bring into the way that we do things, the way that we present things, the way that we call things sometimes or describe things that can make shifts um, in the way that our workers or our travelers behave. The, the Virgin Atlantic example is a brilliant illustration of that. Simply providing people with some extra information uh, before they get on the uh, on the plane or at the end of the month, presenting is, people yeah. is the is the hotel towel thing a, 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 a simple smart change for a smile? Is that like, is... absolutely? This is a brilliant illustration of what is the first uh, uh, the first mile uh, behavior change. This is when we make changes in default options, um, such as making towel changing, uh, switching the default options in towel changing. So shifting from towels are changed every day by default to towels are not changed by default. And you have to actually be proactive if you want your towel change. Now, note that we are not eliminating choices. The traveler and the client still have the option. It's just that we are setting 
the more responsible option as the default. And the really powerful uh, um, aspect of this is that many people don't care about these small choices because they don't really have a significant contribution on the value of their experience, on the quality of their experience. So they don't care about that. And so they would automatically shift to what is set as the default without any effect on their overall experience. In fact, they might actually appreciate that you're making it easy for them to be responsible and to be contributing to um, to a lower footprint. Okay, so, so that's that's single smart changes. Uh, absolutely. So these are the first mile simple and smart changes. Now, behavior change is even more more powerful when it's combined with other uh, tools such as policy design, infrastructure, investment, uh, planning, and marketing. So this is when we use um, behavioral scientists or knowledge about how people change behavior, how they decide and act in certain contexts uh, in order to inform or complement uh, decision-making when it comes to new destination strategies, when it comes to investing in infrastructure, for example, that's going to encourage more of the local residents and more visitors to walk from places rather than uh, keep using motorized vehicles or to, to, uh, to travel in slower mode or to spend more locally. So this is when we combine different um, tools that we have on a strategic level, and we look to create patterns that slowly shift uh, the behaviors of larger groups uh, over time so that we can get them to behave um, in a more desired way. Okay, so behavioral changes, whether it's simple and smart or strategic, can you affect a traveler's happiness? Last thought. Absolutely. This is actually one of the, the favorite topics um, of our team, because especially after COVID, uh, our societies um, have increased their awareness on the importance of human well-being, both physical and um, psychological well-being and the sense of happiness. And tourism really is one of the best positioned industries in terms of contributing to human and to individual and societal happiness. There's very easy things that we can do as professionals, as service providers, as destination managers um, in our work that can make travelers leave happier, not only uh, with a better experience from our destination, but actually happier human beings. So I think that this is a space where we have huge potential to grow uh, and a great opportunity to contribute to the betterment of societies. Dr. Nikolova, it is always a great pleasure to talk to you from the, from the moment I met you. We could spend hours on this. Let's do it again. Um, this is a, I wouldn't call it an emerging field. It's been around for a while, but it's emerging into the awareness of the general population and tourism. And I think it's got a massive contribution to make, especially as we tackle the sustainability issue. So I thank you for being here. I look forward to talking to you more. Um, any final thoughts to our listeners? 
Uh, I just want to thank you for the opportunity to be here. Uh, I also think that it's emerging and uh, there's uh, really many, many directions in which we can benefit from, from this knowledge. And now we have some practical case studies and uh, some learnings from uh, bold destinations that have given it a try and have benefited from this. What I would love to see more professionals uh, from destination authorities try is to um, explore what uh, behavioral sciences can bring uh, to them as professionals, how it can enhance uh, the efforts that they're already making and how it can support their destination ecosystems, the businesses, the service providers, the local residents in benefiting more from, uh, from tourism. It's powerful and it's also intellectually very interesting and exciting. It's super interesting. All right. We will throw a link in the blog as well. But for those who are listening, it's behavior smart, uh, behavior-smart.com. And behavior is spelled the American way, B-E-H-A-V-I-O-R, behavior-smart.com. Uh, Have a look. Um, thanks, Melena. It's a real pleasure. We'll talk again. Thank you so much. Absolutely looking forward to it.